Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. All right, kids, I'm really stoked about this particular interview, and here's why. Bill brought me on his show not too long ago, and we sat down and just had a hell of a conversation, and we really flipping connected. This dude and I have some similar backgrounds. We've done some really, really cool things, so I'm stoked to bring him here and just kind of talk about his journey, some of the fascinating things that he's done. Of course, I'll make fun of him as we go through this. That's just part of the game, no, but this is going to be a fun one for you guys to hang out, sit back, and, and, and listen, and hopefully we get to all the questions that run through y'all's damn heads. If not, as always, send me a message we'll figure it out but i'm donnie bovey and this is success champions bill welcome to the show my friend please tell us your story hands down one of the best states in the U.S. and one of the best places to live in, in the entire world. And, you know, Stacey McGovern and her team over at Point Blank Safety Services just make it all the more badass. These guys are employing over 200 off-duty police officers to make sure our highways stay safe, our construction sites stay safe, our buildings, our companies, our assets, all are protected by off-duty police officers. You know, it's a really cool thing when you find a company that's so dedicated to help the men and women that are keeping us safe and uh, protecting our freedoms and signed up to willing to pay the ultimate fact sacrifice. And then she found a very cool way to help them earn additional income so they can continue doing and protecting us and still take care of their families. So do me a favor, guys, show her some love and head over to Point Blank Safety Services and help her help the police officers that are doing so much for us. And if you haven't heard about her nonprofit, Blue Family Fund, they offer scholarships and additional services for the families of first responders, fallen police officers, and many, many, many more. So go do me a favor, go do some love on her page, like, comment, share, and let her know that you heard about it from Success Champions Podcast. And if you guys haven't heard, we launched Success Champions virtual networking groups networking chapters all over the world we're bringing the best of the best your second tier badass get shit done people together to do some phenomenal networking to help them grow their business if you're a badass that is ready to sit down with a bunch of other badasses that are wanting to grow and help you get your business bigger then go over to donnybovine.com click on the link for success champions networking and come hang out with us, man. It's going to be a badass time. Now, let's get on to Bill. Donnie, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And I, 
you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're excited for something, I'm excited for this. And so I just appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I'll just, I'll tell you my story. I was, I was born on an island in the South Pacific. I was born on American Samoa, which is unique. If you, if you can see me, you, you probably say, the guy doesn't look Samoan. Well, I'm not Samoan. My dad was teaching there. He was uh, getting his PhD. And so for some reason, he landed in Samoa. And so being um, the child of hippie parents, they named me Billy Samoa. Salibi. So, uh, in my head, I was wondering, was that just like a nickname because you're from there? Or was that like all in legit? All in legit. <laughs> and we carried it forward. Uh, just funny story. So my son w was born in 2012. And it wasn't too long after the movie Hangover, uh, The Hangover came out. So at that time, you know, I had a pretty big beard. And I, I strike somewhat of a resemblance to Zach Galifianakis. Galifianakis, yeah. So when my son was in the womb, my wife um, somehow uh, got to the point where people started calling the baby, and it was my one of my good gosh started calling the baby baby Carlos because the baby in the Hangover is Carlos because I right. look like Zach Galifianakis. Well, when we came time to name my son, we knew he was going to be a, a William because we just we we were consistent. I, he's the fourth William in a row. I was the third William in the row. You get the point. But we didn't know what middle name to give him. So his middle name is Carlos after the, ba <laughs> after the baby in the hangover. And I'll, I'll send you a picture of me holding a Slurpee cup with Zach Galifianakis on it. And, and you could just see the resemblance. I even dressed it up as him for Halloween one year. So <laughs> random. I don't think I've shared that story with very many. I mean, all well, my friends know it. So it, It's legendary now. Um, the, the, <laughs> the funny thing about that is that kid's going to have to listen, live with that story for the rest of his life. How'd you come up with your name? Mom and dad watched The Hangover one too many times. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. At this, he's eight years old now, so he doesn't fully get it, but he, he's a pretty like, bright kid and he's definitely mature beyond his years so he, he, he gets must get that from mom yeah right exactly <laughs> no, no, no doubt about that no doubt about that so so yeah so I was born there but I'm an LA guy I've been in LA my whole life and everyone loves trash in LA no one's an LA fan including the people that live here but I for one love Los Angeles and I just love that there's so much to do from a wide variety of perspectives and I spent most of my time here with the exception of I did live abroad for a year I lived in London and then I lived in New York for a year. When I lived in New York, the reason I lived there, I, for some reason thought, okay, when I got out of film school, I should probably make a movie. And so instead of staying in Hollywood, you know, LA, I said, let me move to New York and write the script there. And so I wrote my film rolling in New York. And so I spent most of my twenties traveling and making a movie. And when I say traveling, I didn't just travel to one or two countries. I probably went to about 25 countries in my 20s. I've now been to over 40 countries. And I love traveling. I've always loved connecting with people and interacting with different types of people with different backgrounds. It's just something that I'm passionate about. And so in my 20s, when I was traveling and, and making the movie, what I quickly realized is making a movie it's not like making a student film, right? It, it, you know, you make a student film, it takes a semester. So my film took seven years oh from God. concept to distribution. And clearly not every film takes that long, but I was, I was, I mean, were steady. you filming all three episodes of Lord of the Rings or what? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, I, I, in 2003, I wrote the film 2004. We cast the film 2005. We shot it. Six, oh, six. 
we edited, edited the film. And then in 07, we took it to festivals and we went to four continents, a ton of different countries. We won, we won several audience awards. So the film had a, a little bit of, of cult following, a little bit of success. It's, a, it's about the drug ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And so it had sort of a built-in. I had a fun couple of years with that one. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you. And so, you know, ultimately that was, that was um, distributed in 2009. And when it got distributed, it was a, definitely a huge victory in a sense that, that, that I took this thing from concept to, to that point and, you know, got on Netflix, Amazon, the, the whole nine yards. And I, it was an amazing experience. I learned so much from that. But I also learned that seven years of my life dedicated to one project, if I were to do that all over again, and I didn't make seven years worth of income, it would probably be hard to start a family. And so I, I fell in to sales. And when I fell into sales, what was interesting to me is I was able to draw upon a lot of my experience waiting tables. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most of my, uh, so I got a job real early, man. I, you know, probably like a lot of your listeners, you know, they got jobs early. I I always love when somebody gets a job. So I was working at 15, scooping ice cream at the 31 flavors. And then after that, I got a restaurant job, another one, another one. I probably worked at two dozen restaurants. I mean, all over the place. I worked in restaurant in, in Europe, in London, in New York, all over the place. So, but I, I drew a lot from that experience on the interaction with people, setting expectations, doing what you said you're going to do, making sure you provide a wow experience and just give people the type of experience that will be memorable and that they'll want to tell their friends about. And so I just applied that to sales. And so kind of stumbled into the solar industry. My brother was selling solar and this is 2009. This was early days in the solar biz before it was what it is today, where it's like, you're getting hounded by phone calls and everyone and their mothers in solar. This was early days. And so I got in and the hardest part of my job was convincing people it wasn't too good to be true. Cause I was telling them, Hey, you could have solar on your roof. You don't pay anything in pocket. You get a lower rate for your electricity and you're getting power from the sun. And so people are like, why wouldn't I do this? And I say, exactly. And so I had a lot of success selling solar, Moved up the ranks, got an opportunity to manage a team. So my first exposure to leadership in the corporate setting, but I learned to be a leader as a director on a movie set. Now I'm just applying that in this vehicle. And so had some success there. My team did really well and it was timing, right? I'll give myself some credit, but most of the credit goes to timing and ability to work with people. And so that then led to training, which I know we're going to wrap about that on this call. I'm excited about that, but I, I like you, I didn't know I was going to, like training or even want to do training. I liked the sales part, but I wasn't like eager to do training. And so, but when I started doing it, I realized that I could do training in a different way. I hate boring trainings. Most people fall asleep in trainings. And so the trainings that we put on, they were incredibly interactive and filled with games. I mean, just having fun. So we would do family feud where I'd pit one side of the room against the other side of the room. And we would test the knowledge that they learned throughout the week, or we would do an American idol type of game where they would do customer interactions, but there would be judges who would give them instant feedback and critique what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're interacting with the customer. And so a ton of stuff like that. And I, I kind of put my stamp on the training and that led to more opportunities. I ended up becoming the, the VP of sales at that particular company. So started as a sales guy, left as the VP of sales. I got recruited to go work at Solar City, which really was an amazing opportunity. Solar City at the time was the dominant force in the industry. And 
I, I built out a leadership development program for them. I took a lot of the same sort of fun games and activities and built that into the leadership course. And then also did something really interesting is we created, I, I, they, they put me in charge of internal communication. So I, I had to figure out how to communicate with this massive sales force. We're talking six, 7,000 people across the country. How do you communicate with them? And so luckily I had this amazing leader named Hayes Barnard. Do you, you see this guy? It's like the most charismatic guy you'll ever meet. Like just energy, just bounding through his body. And he wanted to do like a weekly show. And so we created what was called Solar City TV. And he was the host. It was, it was as good, honestly, it was as good as some ESPN shows. I know that's wow. sounding a little bit cocky, but when I say it was as good, it had that kind of production value. It felt like a real show. I mean, we had a quarter million dollar studio that we built out. Jeez. We had multi-camera, three camera. I had to hire camera. I had to hire another producer because I couldn't do it all. And so did this weekly show and and ask anyone that worked at Solar City, it, it definitely developed a reputation. And so, flash forward to Tesla buys Solar City. And so, I could have been part of layoffs. I could have not been part of the transition. Fortunately, I ended up meeting a guy named Ben Putterman who gave me the opportunity to build the onboarding program for Tesla. And so, I created what was called Launch. And it was the first day experience for anyone starting at Tesla. I built that with an amazing team of people. And we really tried to do the same thing I've been doing before, which is how do we make this memorable? How do we make this representative of this incredible brand that's disrupting an entire industry? And so did that and then left Tesla last year. Uh, I did get another promotion. I was head of uh, all sales training, both vehicle and energy. So anytime anyone started in sales globally, my team would train them. So I had a team in Europe, a team in Asia, a team in North America. It was. It was definitely an amazing place to be. And then ultimately I left there February of last year. Uh, and I was like, I was on this ride for a long time, this wave that I just didn't see any time where I could get off, where it would make sense to get off. You know, you don't get off a wave when you're about to start working for Tesla, but Donnie, I never wanted to be a corporate guy. I'm not a corporate <laughs> guy, but I played the game, man. I played yeah. the game really well. And, and so now here we are, I've started my company Insight Media, which it, it sort of draws upon my entertainment background, my education and training background and blending those into, into one. And so doing a lot of media, doing a lot of work on LinkedIn with content creation, starting to do some coaching. I've, uh, as you know, I, I've started a podcast Inside Out uh, and I'm, start, I'm actually in the midst of, I mentioned briefly, I'm starting another podcast in the very near future, which I definitely want to get you as a guest. <laughs> and so- so yeah, so here we are today, 2020, in the midst of this craziness, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to you and, and rapping about life and enjoying every minute of it and also being challenged every day. Dude, I love it. I love it. You know, there's so many things I'm going to pick apart in this thing, but because you just had a really, really, really cool journey. But some of the things that I'm absolutely fascinated about is the, the idea of, uh, you know, restaurant server bartender to salesperson because you know, some people have heard the story very in a kind of a similar thing you know i was literally hired from behind a bar to go you know jump and really kick off my sales career i remember that uh, from your book yeah yeah you know so it's it's fascinating for me and the reason the gal hired me was that she had gone to a conference and the keynote speaker that it was a commercial printing conference. And the keynote speaker literally said that his number one salesperson 
was his favorite server from a restaurant, mm. you know, and I, I just attribute it to, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I attribute it to, you have to deal with the people at their best and worst at any given moment, <laughs> you know, um, because they may be happy when they walk in, they may have had way too many drinks because like you do, you overserve to get a bigger tip. I mean, you don't, should never overserve. <laughs> oh, um, but, but I mean, do you agree that that's part of it that plays into it? I do. I, it, here's what I think. I think there's a couple things that really stand out to me. First, w- what you said is so true, right? When people are being fed, they're either incredibly happy or they're incredibly hangry. And, and, and that's when they're waiting for the, when they're waiting for the food. And I also think when you wait tables or when you tend bar, you are getting a volume of customer interactions, of people interactions that you wouldn't see in almost any other profession. I mean, yeah, there are some instances where you're going to see a revolving door of people, but not where you have that kind of just in-depth interaction where you're, if you're doing a good job, you're, you're winning them over as a person and you're, you're, you're showing your personality, right? When I, when I worked at, I worked at a place called soup plantation now, now defunct it's, it's going out of business. Cause it's a, it's a salad bar. It's a, it's a glorified salad bar. Well, maybe that's the thing then, because I worked at Bennigan's, which they're all gone. So maybe yeah, you yeah. have to be a, you know, a server at a restaurant that's no longer around, and that's a qualification. Maybe. <laughs> but, I mean, this, this place, you go in and you serve yourself. You're not, you don't need mm-hmm. a waiter. But I was a dining room attendant, and most people that worked there before me, they just cleared trays and cleared plates, and that was it. When I started working there, I said, there's an opportunity here. It was in Brentwood in LA. It's kind of a ritzy area. So I'd go up. I'd go, I'd go hey, sir, how you doing? Welcome to Soup Plantation. Uh, my name's Billy. I'm going to be taking care of you today. If you need you know, more lemonade or Coke or anything, I'm happy to go get that for you. Uh, if you want, I can remove your trays. Anything you need, just let me know. And it was a small thing. But like everyone that worked there prior to me getting there, they just would, they wouldn't say anything. They wouldn't greet the customer. They would just maybe go get the tray after the customer took the plates off the tray. And so a trend started because people realized that if you did those small little things, people actually tipped you. Mm-hmm. They left you two, three, four bucks a table, which at the time that was gold to me, you know, being a 16 year old kid and I had, you know, 30, 40 tables in a day, I can make 60 bucks. I was stoked, man. And, and you're, when you're talking to people and you're giving them an experience that they again, that they remember, then guess what? You, you've won them over. And I think that applies to sales hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's fascinating for me because um, I, I think a lot of us can look back on different moments in our life and go, that taught me this, you know, I, I don't know that you, every experience you go through, you know, teaches you that life's lessons, but I can at least look back on it and go, I've learned this from it. And, and you know, I loved it. For me, waiting tables was a chance to try out different ways to communicate with people. You know, um, we, the, the restaurant that I primarily worked at, I worked at a couple, I did a fast food thing too, but um, was with this Bennigan's and we were in a really unique situation. So all the other restaurants around us closed at 10, which means the staff got off at midnight. Mm. Our restaurant didn't close <laughs> till two o'clock in the morning. So we got all of the alcoholics, the drunks and everybody else, the druggies and everybody, you know, these people that are waiting your tables, by the way, if you don't know, they're all the alcoholics, drunks and partiers and everything else. <laughs> That's you right. Know. That's another whole, another whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why you did a movie on ecstasy. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but 
um, you know, so they would all come to our, our, our restaurant and we had dollar beers. So now you imagine that all these freaking people are getting off work. They've been dealing with people all day and now they can come dollar beers. Yeah. You know, a lot of us that were serving drinks and everything, we got to where we carry like eight pints in each hand, you know, to get them to tables. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was really insane. But I always realized that for me, similar to your experience, the more I could get people to laugh or engage in conversation or let their hair down a moment with me, the bigger my tips got. Mm -hmm. So I would go over the top to connect with those individuals. And I think that's a really cool skill that helped me out uh, later in sales and some other things that I've done. I've just been good at reading people. So you stumble into this whole training thing, which I don't know. I think training is kind of like sales. Not a lot of people raise their hand when they're growing up and say, I want to be a trainer when I get older in life. Yeah. Um, and you work your way up to working for one of the most iconic names in our time right now well, with Solar City, and then of course with Tesla. Um, where does that creativity come from because i sucked at coming up with games when i was training that was like my worst thing i could do i was more hey go pull your head out of your ass and let's go sell something but you you got this creative edge for from you to do all the games and the creativity i was an avid google searcher trying to come up with games and ideas because i just couldn't figure out shit um you know all the way through where does all that come for you is it from the film school is it is it what that's a really good question. And one that I, I don't think I've given a ton of thought to, and I, I'm, I'm happy to explore it because it's, it's, it's a fun thing to think back on. You know, when I look back and I think about building out the first training that we built out, which was called Solar Academy, and the name itself, I didn't invent. It was just something that they, they already had a, a Solar Academy, but we wanted to kind of reinvent the way that that Solar Academy happened. And so that's, when things like the Family Feud was born and the American Idol. And I, I think it was those types of things. You talk about those Google searches. Well, we, I did those. And what I found was, and not to trash the, the people that have created some pretty good games, because there are some good games, but a lot of the games that I found, they just didn't sing to me. They just didn't feel like anything that I wanted to do. They felt kind of right. Did you find what I, what I did, a lot of them were like PowerPoint presentations that were poorly put together or, you know, they were a word document that kind of walked you through an idea. And that's a lot of what I stumbled into. Yeah. Step one, step two, step three. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. hundred, hundred percent. And so what I just tried to think about was think about pop culture, think about what people do anyway. You know, at, at the time, again, we're talking 2011, 12, when I started to do this, this is, I, you know, American Idol was kind of a big thing back then. And so that's, I think that's why that played out. And I just thought, okay, here's, these are salespeople. They need to practice. It's all about role play, repetition, repetition, repetition. And then once they've done that role play, they have to apply it in the real world. And so I just, how do I create some type of activity that will get them to be able to practice in a way where they don't feel like they're practicing? Because role play itself, people are kind of resistant to that. And so I, you know, there has to be some of that, but how do I make the role play a little bit less feel like feel a little bit less like role play. And so that's how I came up with those. And, and I, you know, I'm a collaborator, so I love working with people and talking through, through things. Uh, and so I had a great team of people that, that I worked with 
And so when, when I had an idea or when they had an idea, we would just talk it through and like play it out. You know, my good friend, Rob, who, who was the, the guy just like, you see this guy in front of the room and he just like, he, he's the show host that like, he literally could be a show host. That's how good he is. And so he, he would always like compliment me on, on my ability to come up with the shows, but he brought them to life. And, and, you know, we'd work really closely together to kind of design these things. And, and I'm not saying that we invented all of them. Like there's one game that we found that we, some of the, some of them we, we tweaked. So we have this time management game where we'd put up on a board, all of these activities, you know, you got to run a slant, run a football slant, catch the pass. You got to uh, hop on one leg. You got to bark like a dog and you get different amounts of points and all this random shit. I mean, like all over the map. And, and, and it's a time management game. So we show them this list and the, and the purpose is they're supposed to get, uh, they're, they're, there's teams, two teams, there's just to get as many points as possible. And we started off, we say, okay, this is a game of speed. And so you want to work quickly. You want to, you want to get as many points as possible. So we show them the board and we say, okay, ready, go. And people run like crazy around the room, like <laughs> heads cut off, doing yeah. all this shit. It's, it's pandemonium. We hold soundtrack that we build that's another big thing is sound if you if you come to one of our trains it's literally wall-to-wall music and everything's choreographed on like what song goes where and so we have these songs that go with this particular uh this particular exercise and it's about eight minutes or whatever they're doing all these things and we say okay stop and then how did you do we add up all the points there's two judges who are calculating all the points and we tally up all the points they say okay how do you feel you did we did great blah 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 blah. okay they did great what they realized is they did not plan their activities. There were things listed that had no points. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were running the football pass because it was so cool. There was things that had one point versus things that had like 20, 30 points, and they kept on doing the things with one point. And so when you, it's about prioritization. You know, in life, we have things that, that are much more value-add and important to getting whatever it is done that we need to get done. And when you pay attention to those things, and, and avoid the things that are time sucks, it's, it's much better for time. And so it's an example of something we did for our leadership course. But I, you know, I, I don't know where the original idea came from. I think we saw it was probably one of those things, step one, step two, step mm-hmm. three, that we just, we kind of made it, we exaggerated it a bit and we made it even more you know, with the music and just kind of changed some of the things they had to do. Well, I think there's a valuable lesson in there for anybody who's trying to work the front of the room, whether you're training, whether you're speaking, whether you're running a workshop or anything else, that 90% is the delivery in what you're doing. You know, uh, because uh, I know for me, um, the first time I ever did a webinar and I couldn't interact with the crowd. Dude, that was one of the worst webinars I've ever did in my life because mm. I was like talking to myself the entire time, you know, and, I, and, and good trainers like a good comedian, which you almost have to be one and the same, um, so you know, true, man. <laughs> that is right. I want to dig in on that one, but yeah, keep yeah. Going. yeah, I mean, you just have to be able to think on your feet, work the room and make sure that if the game plan that you had in your head is flopping that you think on your feet to throw your own audible in the mix of it and, and, and do a twist on it, you know, but to the comedy side of things, I, I'm a smart ass. I'm not a funny guy. There, there's a difference, right? I make people laugh through smart assery. You know, some people are just flat out funny. 
How much did comedy come into play for, for what you guys did? Hugely, <laughs> hugely. I, so much so, Donnie, that you, I get tingles just talking about it. And, and again, go back to this, this amazing friend of mine and who's become a friend because we worked together for so long is this guy, Rob Shue. And, you know, when we first worked together, Rob had a, a role that was, he, it might as well have been admin. It wasn't admin, but it was like he was building decks and doing menial work, honestly. And he would admit that too. And I, I didn't know he had this skill set. I knew he was a bright guy. I knew he was a likable guy. I didn't know he was a funny motherfucker. He, this guy is so <laughs> funny, hilarious in front of the room. And he just has this confidence. And he's got the smartassery too. He'd make fun of others. He'd make like, but he, but he'd all, he wouldn't be afraid to make fun of himself, but it, he would make fun of me. And, but he did it in such a way that it was just like, it was super natural and super funny. And the audible piece is so important too. being able to read the room. You're hundred percent, right? You can have the greatest exercise built out the greatest activity, but if you're not actually executing it, and, and this is why, you know, when we did family feud, you know, we got smart buzzers. We had the family feud music. We knew exactly what we were going to say. We, we tried to make it. So it was a tie at the end. We did all these little things to were make Were you it. playing Drew Carey or Steve Harvey? <clears throat> I, dude, so uh, that's a good question. I, 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 I think Rob was probably like the original dude. I, that's, that's right. uh, you know, he was probably more like the original, whatever that guy's name is. I can't think of his name. I can picture him. I don't know his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and so we would, we would infuse humor in the, in the answers as well. You know, some of them, like the tiebreaker, for example, one of the things, we, I don't know if you know this, the Shia LaBeouf, uh, you can do it. I don't yeah. know if you know this yet. Yeah. So, so we show that somewhere in the week, kind of like, on a break or at the end of the day, we're like, Hey guys, you know, this is, I know you got a lot going on. I know we're giving you a lot, but you can do it. So we show them this video and then the tiebreaker, I'll send you this video cause it's classic. The tiebreaker at the end of the feud is the answer is you can do it. And it's a video of Shia LaBeouf. So, so the question is something to the effect of, you know, what would Shia say if blah, blah, blah. And so one, one, one particular training, it came down to the tiebreaker. It came down to that being the answer. This, uh, another who's now a friend and he knows the answer and he goes you can do it that's the answer <laughs> dude like eruption eruption the whole freaking room electrifies people are hugging each other lifting each other up and this is just the end of a corporate training right and it's just like when you create that type of and it was just humor it was fun it was exciting it was competitive all of these different things and yeah they were learning too and that's the important thing. You can't compromise or sacrifice the learning. And I think that's a big piece of it. It's like, yeah, we're giving them knowledge, but we're helping them practice because repetition over and over again, get that muscle memory and then, and then give them the tools so they can actually go apply it in the real world, which is when they're really going to solidify everything. Yeah, no, I, I love this. You know, one of the things that, that I sometimes found hard to translate is with role plays, you know, all kinds of things. It's very hard to bring real world into a training, you know, uh, atmosphere. So I want to give you an example of some of the things that I did to try and do that. And I'm curious what you guys did to try and bring more real world into it. So one of my favorite things to do is the shock and awe things. Um, and I trapped myself into doing this one time. I had a group full of sales managers and we were working on cold calls. And I said, the best way to teach a cold call is to do you go, I go. Now I'd never done this in my entire 
life of being a sales guy. I'd never, you know, said, Hey, I want to teach you to do a cold call by showing you me doing it first. So when I told this group of managers this, they all looked at me like I had two heads. They're like, what the hell do you mean? You go, I go. I said, well, you know, literally you should get up and do a cold call then ask them to do one. You talk about them and you go again. And all these managers are like, no way in hell. They, I am not fucking up in front of my salespeople. There's, there's no way I'm dropping the ball. They're like, it won't work. I said, really? And like a smart ass than I am, I grabbed a phone, put it on speakerphone, grabbed my Rolodex, and I started dialing right in front of them, right? Doing a live cold call. And all their eyes, you know, get like super huge. I damn near shit myself doing this call because <laughs> I was scared to freaking death to do this. But it worked. I actually set an appointment on the second or third, you know, dial um, to go in and talk sales training. So, and then they started implementing that world. So that was our attempt to kind of bring some of the real world in, because even in role playing, you know, you, you, you get people that take it easy on you or they take it too hard on you. It's very hard to get that real world experience. What are some of the things you guys tried to do to try and bring in more of the heat of the moment type stuff into y'all's training? Yeah, it's a great question. And certainly something that we, we thought of and, Truthfully, it's something that we battled with for a while. And one of the things that we did was you know, the modeling piece helps for sure is, is you want to model the behavior you want. And this is from the management leadership trainings we did, but also for the, the direct line sales trainings that we did is, you know, giving, giving people the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, to see what good looks like. We, so we would start a training and we would do the entire sales consultation end to end with a a person, it was me, it was, or somebody who else who had success, who was, who was in the field, who actually did it would model what good looks like. And so that would be a, a, a kind of a, a baseline for them to look at, but even that is somewhat staged. And so what we do is we create based on real life examples, scenarios. So for example, maybe a customer has a roof issue, or maybe a customer is older and won't get a tax credit, or maybe a customer you know, all these different scenarios that exist. Maybe they're, they're, they're not into the loan. They want, they want to, uh, or they're not into leasing the panels. They want to do a straight purchase. And so we would give them scenarios. And, and so we would do triads as, as groups of three. So there'd be one person observing one person who's a customer and one person who is uh, the, the consultant. And then they would switch and they would give each other feedback. And each person would have a scenario that they would need to, they wouldn't share it. They would say, okay, I know these five things about me, maybe, and they would be things like, okay, this is a, an engineering type. Cause we all know the engineering types, they're the ones that ask questions. They need, they need more information. So like knowing the personality type. So we'd look at personality profile. And so all of this evolved over time. Cause when mm -hmm. we started, you know, we, we were figuring it out too, man. I mean, right. we, you know, so uh, I'd say we never perfected it, you know, in truth, we never, you can never make, the real world, the real world uh, in a fake world. But what we would do is outside of the classroom, we would build out opportunities for them to do it in, in real world. And especially this is especially true in Tesla. And so you talked about virtual training, which I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge to do it well, but when you do it well, people are blown away. And so we have this guy, Maya Boyer, amazing virtual trainer amazing i mean you should see his setup it looks like freaking nasa i mean he's got all these screens all this like he's gonna be controlling a freaking shuttle uh, but <laughs> the reason he has all those is because he's got you know you know videos and, and all these different things coming into play but 
He incorporates polls. He's huge into the chat feature. We do Kahoot. So there's quizzing and games. Uh, there's music. There's, you know, it just, he brings it to life. And then there's interaction. And so all of these things that typically, you know, it's one, it's one directional. It's somebody lecturing. Like a lecture doesn't work in a, in a virtual space. And so what we would do on a virtual setting is we would do labs where we'd break up maybe a larger group into smaller groups and there'd be a lot more interaction in those. And then we'd go from the labs to real world interaction and we would have people in the field, whether it be a store, for example, who would be helping and, and, and either a manager or, or a training manager or somebody that is like an assistant manager who would look and see how they're interacting with the customer. So when somebody walks in a, a store at Tesla, right, you know, we're supposed to uh, say hi within the first few seconds, right, and greet them. And so we just make sure that that's happening. And so all of these different touch points that we should be having as part of the, the sales cycle uh, would be looked at. And it is real world because they're talking to real world customers. And so, you know, again, we didn't have that opportunity for, for solar per se uh, until, until more towards the end because people are starting to come into the stores and ask about solar. But when we go to somebody's home, we can't, we can't make that up. So what we do is ride-alongs. And so we would take the, the knowledge that they learned and we would send a manager or, 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 a, or a sales consultant who was successful to go observe a new person. Maybe they would do it on the first one and show them, model it. And then the next, the next consultation, they would, the, the new person would do it. And then we'd give them feedback and we'd have a whole sheet where we'd evaluate, you know, how they're doing. But there's no substitute for, for real world. Yeah, no, I love that. That ride along idea is something I stumbled into myself. Um, I used to, when somebody entered our training program, we'd walk them through our entire sales methodology. I can't speak, uh, you know, in process. And, you know, after a certain amount of time, I remember it might've been like, you know, a month, few weeks, something like that. I would literally go with them and I would go along as a sales guy in training. Mm -hmm. Right. So I yeah, wasn't, yeah. you know, and, and it was, would be funny is, you know, you're going on these ride alongs with people, you know, the salesperson would get in trouble um, on the sales call and then they start looking for you for answer. And it was so fun because I'd be like, throw my hands up. I'm like, dude, I'm just here learning stuff. And yeah. you can see almost you don't, to take over. you don't want to take over. No, no. Cause if you rescue me at that point, they miss out on all the learning experience. Yeah. You know, I feel you, man. Uh, awesome. But so, so that it, it was, it became a lot of fun to to get creative with all that. So you've spent all this time doing some badass training. You've you've you know worked with some amazing companies, and now you're out on your own trying to figure that out. So welcome to the entrepreneur world. Yeah, man. Um, what's that journey like so far? Going from spending your entire life working for others, being kind of told what to do to now having to make the own shots and calls for yourself? Well, I mean, in reading your book, I think there's definitely some parallels, man. I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said it's been, you know, one smooth road where I just figured it all out. I'm still figuring it out hundred percent. And, and every day is a new, a new journey. I had a couple breakthroughs and I'll share those breakthroughs. Um, one breakthrough for sure happened in late January when I decided to take LinkedIn more seriously. You know, I've been on the platform since 2007, but I didn't know how to take it seriously or why to take it seriously. And so when I started my podcast in September, I thought, okay, LinkedIn's a great place to put it out and like make a post. So I started making posts September of last year, but I would do it maybe one, two, maybe three a week. 
not a lot. And, and I, what I realize is at, at a certain point, it kind of gets boring sending out just an, effectively an advertisement of my work. Even though there may be value to the people in my network, the perception is, and it's the right perception, is that I'm just, I'm soliciting myself. I'm, I'm, I'm putting out my work and say, hey, listen to my work. And, and that doesn't really work on LinkedIn. And so in January, late January, it was right around the time Kobe died, actually. Very close to that, I got an email, a message, a LinkedIn message from a lady named Lorena Acosta. And what she said was, I love your podcast. post on my page and sent it to my network. I'm like, okay, great. Didn't think much of it. And then I looked closely. She had 350,000 followers. So I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe I should pay more attention. And I was like, she said, yeah, I already have 6,000 views of my post and I posted an hour ago or something to that effect. I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's insane. I go, I get like 100 or 200 or 500 maybe, you know? And so I was like, I got to take this thing more seriously. And so I started just looking around and seeing who's doing well on the platform. And I just immersed myself in it. And since that time, my, and I post daily, you know, some, I miss a day here and there, but I post daily, I'm networking like crazy. I'm meeting a ton of people. Since that time, I'm almost a half a million views of my content. Um, and, and views are important, but they're not everything. Um, what's more important to me is that I've developed kind of a, a mini tribe in a sense. And those are people who I have built relationships with and that I like and who I think like me. And so as that sort of happened, what I, I started to realize is even though I'm still learning, I don't claim to be an expert. I have developed some skills in the LinkedIn world that can help other people and kind of specifically help podcasters because podcasters are always looking for ways to market themselves and get their, get their work out more. And so as a podcaster myself, I, I learned a lot. And, and so I kind of want to pay it forward. And so my journey has led me to really focus on the journey of a, of a new podcaster or somebody new to LinkedIn or maybe not new to LinkedIn, but wanting to become more active on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm actually working with the partner on a course for LinkedIn, I'm working on a course for podcasting. Again, don't claim to be an expert, but I certainly can help somebody that's just getting started. You know? And so uh, working on those two things and then sort of big picture where I see my company going is I'm a huge believer in, and doing things that will make our world, the planet, uh, better than it was when we got here. And so um, I have a few projects that I'm working on uh, in the green tech space, uh, specifically a, a website that will help to uh, elevate and promote green technologies. And so I haven't completely left the, the green technology world, which is where I've been for the last 10 years, but that's a project that I've been working on that you'll hear more about in the future. And so, you know, as things have evolved, I started taking coaching clients and, you know, my schedule's packed now. I have like coaching clients lined up. You were talking about your day's busy today. Mine is too. I just have, you know, multiple people that I'm meeting with and helping them. And so my, my big thing is give, give as much as possible. And the more you give and the universe works in mysterious ways, it does come back to you. And so kind of that's the, the mantra that I have these days is just keep giving, just keep giving, just keep giving. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I'm feeling good about where I'm at so far. I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm muted. I think anybody who's fully invested in a platform um, and goes all in to learn it, 
um, does a badass thing and a scary thing. Um, the badass thing is they don't can dominate on that platform. The scary thing is what happens if that dom if that platform goes away. I mean, go back and look at the day, look at the MySpace and Vine as a prime example. But you know, I love the fact that that you've applied your learned knowledge and are teaching others that kind of stuff. I think that's the ultimate business model that if more people would follow, they would make a mint out of. So so I respect the hell out of that. Um, and you know, I, I love watching people's journeys because I can see a lot of times in their business where they're at based on where I was and the, and the things that I went through. So, um, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch the different stages and transitions in, in people's businesses. Um, and I think any entrepreneur slash business owner, whatever the hell you want to say, you know, um, if they ever said they got to figure it out, they're fixing to lose everything. Um, yeah. because it's just a series of learnings. Yeah. So as this journey continues on and you continue to impact and change the world, I didn't know about all the green stuff, but that's, I'm, I'm respect the hell out of that. You know, um, is this, are, are you going to be building a, a monster Tesla size, you know, organization enterprise, or is this always going to be, you know, uh, kind of your small humble thing that you're having fun with? You know, if you'd asked me a while, probably 10 years ago, I, 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 I definitely a dreamer type. You, know, you read my LinkedIn profile, they start something to the effect of, you know, I'm a go big or go home type of person. I've matured quite a lot in the last, you know, 20 years of my life from the time I was in college. I'm at a point right now where I have an eight-year-old boy who is the light of my life. And I recognize that the bigger I build something, the more my time is dedicated to managing, leading a large team. And I, I, I'm hesitant to build something that is a major company like that. I, I'm, I'm more inclined to build something that is sustainable and that is not going to occupy my time managing large groups of people, although I love leading people. And, and so it's, it's a bit of a conundrum. At this point in my life, part of the reason that I've made the conscious decision, I've gotten, Donnie, I've gotten a lot of offers and, you know, it doesn't hurt to have Tesla on my resume. I'm not going to lie. Like I get them, I get them regularly and I have to politely say thank you, but no thank you because I know that the commitment that goes into working for a company or the commitment that goes into having a large business is, is vast. And so I, I just, I, I'm a big believer that time is our most precious resource. And so I'm very, very, very selective with how and where I spend my time. So I guess the, 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 the short answer, which is where I'm getting is, I don't really wanna build something that's too big. I would like to build something that's more manageable. Now, what big is, is relative. You said Tesla. So 60,000 employees, no way. Uh, well, could I see building a, an organization that's maybe 20, 30 employees, perhaps? And maybe, maybe I get excited by that and it, it ends up growing and getting bigger. Um, but I, I think to your point, anyone on an entrepreneurial journey who has it all figured out is probably A, lying, and B, as you said, in for a rude awakening. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, time will tell. I'm, I'm taking it in phases. And right now, the phase that I'm on is build my podcast, build uh, my LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and establish uh, as much 
brand awareness and, and awareness of what I'm doing, help and coach and, and, and develop some courses and, you know, sustain myself with that. And then a little bit more long-term is this, this green tech website that I'm working on. Love it. Love it. Well, dude, this has been a badass rat. I knew it would be. Um, uh, you're a fascinating guy to talk to. And I, I really hope that more people find your message and brand because uh, cool story, cool background, and a very, very cool way to articulate uh, what you've done. Um, even being humble in a situation where maybe you shouldn't be so humble, you know, so I, but I respect the hell out of that. So um, how do people get in touch with you? And then I'll ask for my zinger question that I catch a lot of people on at the end here. Oh, for sure. I can't wait for that. Well, so as I mentioned, LinkedIn is my, definitely my platform of choice. So look for me there, connect with me there, love meeting new people. Uh, I'm a people person, right? You probably could tell that I'm just listening to this. I, I thrive on new relationships. I thrive on building existing relationships. One of the things that I've always prided myself on is, is not losing contact because it's so easy to lose contact with people. And mm. I'm not saying I, I main contact with everyone, but I have a lot of people in my life who've been in my life a long time. And so, you know, let's start, let's start, a, a, you know, through LinkedIn, find me there. I also, my show website is insideoutshow.com. My personal website's billysamoa.com. And, uh, you know, I'm on all the other platforms as well, but start with LinkedIn and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Love it. Love it. So here's the zinger. And I all do right. catch some people on this one. So okay. if you were going to be able to leave the champions around the world, 87 countries, I think we're up to now with the show, um, all tuning in. If you were going to leave those champions with a quote, a phrase, a saying, a mantra, something they can take with them on their journey especially when they're stacked up against it. What's that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. That is a good question. I could tell, I could see why you can get people. A lot of things flood my mind. I'm just going to say one word, grit. Mm, I love grit. Why grit for you though? Okay. So I've interviewed a lot of successful people and the commonality between anyone that reaches extraordinary heights is that they did not give up. It doesn't mean that they didn't change course slightly or reinvent themselves or fail along the way, or again, sort of stop to very calculated choices that uh, ultimately kind of reinvent their business. But what they all have in common, every single one of them is the tenacity, the perseverance, and the uncompromising attitude that they will get to where they want to go. They have grit. This grit is, it's everything. You don't need to be the smartest person. You don't need to have the greatest product, the greatest service, the greatest anything. But if you stick with it, if you do it every day and you take at least some step, it doesn't have to be a massive step. It just has to be a step. And if you do it consistently, it's like working out. You won't work out and think at the end of the day, I'm going to see results. Working out, only works when you do it on a regular basis and over a, t a long period of time. And so it's the whole compound interest effect. When you do something enough over time, you will get to where you want to go. And so my belief is that the grit that someone has is the it factor that separates those that achieve great things and those that just wish they achieved great things. Love it. Love it. Billy, this has been a hell of a run, man. I've enjoyed every moment of this. I'm looking forward to seeing what we partner up with on the future. I see some cool things coming between the two of us. So 
dude you keep kicking ass keep taking names and guys do me a favor go find him on linkedin go follow his stuff check out his podcast and spend some time hanging out and, and following this guy good shit's coming from him thanks guys Bye. thanks Tom. love it when you connect with somebody so much and so well. I love what he's doing in the training world. Um, and I love his passion and energy for really wanting to do more and be more badass for folks. So, so get over there and go show Bill some love. Follow his pages. Check out his podcast. And, and you know, just tell him Donnie sent you. And then if you haven't joined the Success Champions Facebook group, get your butt in there. Go to Facebook. Type in Success Champions. Click on groups will be the first one to pop up. A thousand small business owners all growing and scaling and getting after it. It's a great place to grow your business. And guys, thank you so much for being fans of the show. Always listening. Tell somebody about this show and why they should listen to it. I appreciate you. Later. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.